Turn with me to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. And I was at a uh, kid's birthday party yesterday, and I was in one of those San Diego yards, one of those um, make-you-covet yards, one of those uh, make-you-sin yards because of how pretty the yard is. Anybody been in one of those yards? And, um, you know, like these patios, and they had a this pergola next to the pool and an outdoor fireplace that was like the size of my truck. And, and, and my wife ends up saying to the, the guy, she's like, wow, you have an amazing backyard. And the guy says to her, yeah, I built it all myself. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> and so we're walking out and my wife is looking at me and it's like this mixture look. Like one of the looks is like, Lord, what happened when you made Robert, right? <laughs> like, and the, the second one is like, Lord, why have you forsaken me, you know? And, and uh, I'm like, yeah, I can't really build. She's like, no, you really can't. Um, no, but my hands, my hands weren't made to build. Um, I was one of those kids who, like, when the parents gave them Legos, I couldn't even do Legos. Like, they don't have a saw or, you know, a screwdriver. You don't have to measure. I couldn't even snap Legos together, right? You go to your mom, you're like, mom, look what I built. She's like, nice one-room house. I'm like, that's a helicopter, mom. I don't, I'm like, I've just never been good at building. But can I just tell you, if you're like me and you can't build something with your hands, that one thing we all can build is we can build an altar of worship to the Lord. You're called to build an altar of worship to the Lord. And, and many of us aren't familiar with what a, a true biblical altar is. And so I took a little field trip this past week to help illustrate that. And uh, we're going to take you into the Creation History Museum. So if you can dim the lights, and I wanted to show you uh, what this was in the Old Testament. Oftentimes when I study scripture, I like to try to put myself in the scene to imagine what it would have been like. What were the sights I would have seen? What are the sounds I would have heard? What are the, the smells I would have experienced? Well, today I don't have to do that because I'm actually standing in the Creation History Museum out here in Santee. Highly encourage you to check this out because in it they've replicated the Old Testament tabernacle. And at the front of the tabernacle is what was called the brazen altar. Now, today in our series entitled Revive Us, we're in Ezra chapter 3, and we're actually studying the altar. What was the altar? It was the place where the priests came, and they actually made sacrifices for the sins of the people. Let me read to you about it in Exodus chapter 27. It said, build an altar of acacia wood, three cubits high, it's to be square, five cubits long, and five cubits wide. Make a horn at each of the four corners, so that the horns in the altar are of one piece, and overlay the altar with bronze. You can see this whole thing is overlaid with bronze. Make it all its utensils of bronze, its pots to remove the ashes. Why are there ashes? Because there would be burnt sacrifices. And its shovels, why would there be shovels to come in and actually lift out the ashes? Sprinkling bowls, that was where the blood would be contained. Meat forks and fire pans. Make a grating for it, a bronze network, and make a bronze ring at each of the four corners of the network. Put it under the ledge of the altar so that it's halfway up the altar. And then it says this, that it's just to be made, and this is verse 8, 
just as you were shown on the mountain, God had actually shown Moses what this altar was to be like in a vision on Mount Sinai. Now, as we move on to chapter 29, we understand the heart for why God wanted there to be an altar. It says this, So I will consecrate the tent of meeting, or that's the tabernacle, and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron, we see the priest back here, and his sons to serve me as priests, and here's the key line, then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. You see, the God we serve loves to be with his people. And what we understand is God is perfectly holy, but man is sinful. And therefore, there had to be a sacrifice. And that's why we have this cute little sheep here and this priest is gently leading it. This poor sheep doesn't know it's about to be sacrificed. There's going to be a blood sacrifice, and then it will be burnt on this altar. But you know, the first time that ever happened, what the scripture says is the Lord smelled that pleasing fragrance, and he drew near. And so that is what the altar is all about. It's all about man actually ministering to the heart of God. So I'm excited to unpack more about this topic today in our sermon. All right, all right. Some of you guys are going to have nightmares about those mannequin priests right there. <laughs> I had this experience this past summer in Israel. I unpacked it a couple weeks ago, but of actually being at an altar. So on top of Mount Carmel is where Elijah built an altar unto the Lord, and he had this showdown with the priests of Baal, 400 priests of Baal, we're up there, and Elijah says, build an altar, and I'm going to call out to my God. You call out to yours. Whoever God answers by fire, he is the Lord. Serve him. And you guys remember the story. There's 400 of them, one of him. Even after pouring water all over the altar, the fire falls from heaven, and everyone worships God. Well, I, I wasn't too excited about going up to Mount Carmel, really, because I in Israel, what I wanted to do was walk in the, the footsteps of Jesus at the Sea of Galilee and, and Jerusalem. And what I knew what we were going to do was go up to this Messianic congregation and, and just have a time of worship with them. And, and I got in, and I, I didn't have the best attitude. I, I could tell the worship wasn't really my style of worship. This was kind of the flag and streamer and long flowing dress spinning around kind of worship. And, and so I, I didn't have the best attitude about it. I know I shouldn't have. But but they said something interesting as they started the music. They said, we feel called to rebuild the altar of Elijah here on Mount Carmel. And as I looked at the stage, it was a semicircular stage, but then it had these 12 big stones. And they explained that they felt called to have 24-7 prayer and worship going up from this place. And as soon as they started singing out, I immediately just began repenting because the presence of God came. And I hit my knees, and the next thing I know is I'm on my face, and I'm having this vision, which I don't always have visions, but I'm having this vision of a waterfall coming from heaven and just pouring out over me. And it had been several years since I had had a, a good break, and I'm just feeling the, the, the weariness and the heavy load that I've been carrying and the pain and hurt just disappear. And, and then as I'm there, just before the Lord, just being touched at this altar, I, I said, God, I would just love 
to know your Father's blessing in this moment, your hand upon me. And I, I had this thought. I said, Lord, it would be so cool if Dr. Garlow uh, would come and just lay hands on me. But he was on the complete other side of the room, and he had just told the pastors uh, to go and start praying for people, which I was one of the pastors, but I'm like, I'm not praying for anyone because this is all about me right now. And, uh, and, and I have that thought, and I'm like, but it's not going to happen. And right after I have that thought, immediately his hand is on my back. And he's just praying this Father's blessing, and I am undone. And it, we, we worshiped there. It was supposed to be like a 30-minute thing, and I don't know how. I mean, it was well over an hour. And at the end, Dr. Garlow looks at the worship leader, who is the founder of this congregation, and goes, thank you so much for creating a place for the Lord here, because we have all been recipients of that blessing. Can I tell you, that's what building an altar is all about. Let me give you a biblical definition today. My, my biblical definition is this. An altar is a place where man brings a sacrifice of worship and God brings his presence. An altar is a place where man or woman bring a sacrifice of worship and God responds by bringing his presence. You know, this was uh, something that was so important to us and, and I, I wanted to to do when we went to San Diego State a couple years ago as a church, we had the opportunity to be there. And I said, guys, the reason I believe that we're in the center of San Diego State is that in the, in the midst of this party school, God wants to establish his presence. We want a portal of his presence. We want to build an altar. And I, I find that in, in this amazing text. So we're going to go back to Genesis to, to give you some context for an altar in the life of Abraham. It says this in Genesis 12, 6 through 8. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. So if you remember, Abram lived in a, a city called Ur. It was the seat of commerce and, uh, and learning. And God calls him out on this journey and, and into the unknown. Abraham is a prototype of us as believers. We're called out by the living God to go in a journey of faith. You don't always know the end destination, but we follow his voice and we meet with him along the journey. And then it says this, it says, at that time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an, oh, come on, you're my 1130 service. So he built an, there you go. He built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went towards the hills east of Bethel, remember that name, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram, in response to God meeting him, he builds an altar and boom, he has another encounter with God, a place of sacrifice, of worship, a place where God brought his presence. Now, here's the amazing thing. Abraham has a son named Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob is a punk. Any punks in the house? Don't raise your hand. Um, Jacob is a, a, a punk, and he steals his brother Esau's birthright. Esau was the firstborn. Jacob deceives his father and steals Esau's birthright. And Esau decides to kill him. Like talk about sibling rivalry. And so Jacob is running for his life and he takes off and leaves their home and he is going across the wilderness. And I want you to look what happens to this unsuspecting punk, this, this, rebe this rebel 
It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set off for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. How comfortable. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth and its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending there on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples, whoop, whoop. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely this is this, surely, wait, uh, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There, this is no other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it, and he called that place Bethel. Okay, here's the significance. Abram sets up this altar, a place called Bethel, and worships and meets God there. Jacob, his rebellious, wandering, runaway grandson, comes into that same place, not even seeking God, and boom, has a God encounter at an altar built by his grandfather, and it changes his life forever. Can I just tell you that you building an altar for the Lord doesn't just change your life, it will change generations. It will change those around you. And that's what we want to do. That's the kind of people we want to be. I can't tell you how many times people have come through these doors, and the second they cross the threshold, they start crying. Or they come and say, like, I just walked in, and I got goosebumps all over. I came in, and I just felt a load lift off of me. What is it? And we say, well, it's because God is meeting with his people. You build an altar to the Lord, and other people come in and are changed. So that brings us to Ezra 3. And that's why I wanted to unpack this before, so you could understand the significance of what they're doing. Because it says this, when the seventh month came, this is Ezra 3, 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the of God, of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So rewinding a bit, the first week when we were in Ezra 1, we talked about one man. His name was King Cyrus. He wasn't from the people of God. He was a pagan king. And yet God used this man. You see, the, the Israelites catching you up on the book of, of Ezra, the Israelites had been in sin, and so they were disciplined by the king of Babylon coming, raiding the land, destroying the city, and taking them all as captives into Babylon. And for, the, for 70 years, they were enslaved there. Then Cyrus, who's in chapter 1, he came 
and he invaded Babylon, took over. And you would have never thought it because he's this tyrannical pagan king, but God gets a hold of his heart. And so all of a sudden, Cyrus has in his heart to help the people of Israel go back to their land and build the temple. And, and our point in chapter one was this, God uses unlikely people to set in motion moves of God. And so you might feel like the most unlikely person, but if God can get a hold of your heart and you obey him, you can be the instigator of revival. Now, chapter 2, we said it's not just one man, though. The Israelites left this comfortable place. They had built homes. They had gardens. They had massive families. They were prospering in Babylon. And Cyrus gives them the opportunity to return to Israel. It wasn't like, ooh, ooh, we're going to the land of milk and honey. No, it was going to a desolate wasteland. It looked like a tornado had just hit. It was all rubble. And yet, not just one radical person went. So often that's the lie we believe. Like only the, 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 the few radical people will really obey God. No, it said 42,000 people packed up and went back to Israel. And that's what we talked about last week. But this week, what we're talking about is this. What's the first thing they did when they returned to Jerusalem? It says they built an altar. Now that's peculiar to me because if I was returning to the land where I had been invaded and destroyed and I knew that bad boys were still all around me, I would start by building that big wall around me, right? But that doesn't happen until the next book called Nehemiah, or I would have at least started with like cleanup day, right? Demo day, right? And, and, and gotten rid of all the rubble. And, and, or I would have at least started putting up the foundations and the, and, the, and the studs for the new temple. No, what do they do? They build and why? Because they knew their primary calling was to minister to the Lord. And they knew that everything was built on the foundation of worship. Now, I'm cheating a little because I skipped two verses last week. I covered like 66 verses last week in chapter two. I'm a little proud of myself. Um, even some like long lists, but I, I, I didn't cover the last two verses. So let me just take you back for a second to Ezra chapter 2, 68 and 69, because this is so important for you to see. It says, when they arrived at the house of the Lord, so remember this is all the thousands, tens of thousands of Israelites. It says, they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the capital of Israel. It says, some of the heads, some Take note of that word. Some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave the treasury for his work, 61,000 darics of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. One of the cool things that you watch in the Old Testament is these moments of revival where it says everyone was giving to the Lord. Everyone brought an offering. And, you know, that, that was something we experienced uh, this past year in the Light Project. So you guys know we don't own this building. It's not big enough for us. We have to have so many services. Uh, and so we wanted to buy a piece of land. And so we bought a piece of land on the 8 Freeway, and we're getting to build our own permanent church facility. It's just awesome. And we talked about this last fall, and we, we were building up towards a day of bringing this great offering. And, like, everyone showed up with this offering and made commitments. It was just this unbelievable day, this unbelievable time. And that's so exciting. And you know there's a move of God when everyone starts bringing their offering. But this wasn't that time. 
this was a time where an offering wasn't even taken. Uh, like no one got up and said, hey, let's pass the plates. Let's pass the baskets around. No, no that hadn't even happened. It just said they land and, and, and some just said immediately, hey, I want to give. Like no one had even asked. They just said, I want to give. Um, I have four kids, okay? And I often have my kids work at our house. So if you've heard me say this before, I don't hire yard people. I have my kids. And um, wise economics right there. And, and so I send my kids out to do work. And sometimes they're not happy about that. Uh, but I ask them, and part of being in our family is doing that work. And, but you know what's amazing? Um, what's amazing is when a kid uh, does something without even being asked. Um, so w- one of the things I love in life, uh, I love to walk. Like, I'm just a walker. I, I don't really stay still much. And, and so I love to go hike, and I, I love to walk, and so I'll often, you know, want one of my kids to go with me. So I, I'll ask them, and, and they don't always want to go, but they get to go. And, um, but, but this past week, I'm just, like, in the house, and my almost 16-year-old daughter comes up and she's like, Dad, would you like to take a walk with me? <laughs> Glory. Like, um, and so I'm like, absolutely want to take a walk with you. And we're walking. Gosh, she didn't even ask for anything. <laughs> like, she just wanted to bless me. She just wanted to be with me, okay? That's the kind of child of God I want to be. Like, I don't want to just, I don't want to just do when, when one of the pastors, when, when, when Jeff or Jason or, uh, or James say, hey, can you do that? Can you volunteer? Can you do that? I, I want to be one that brings a free will offering. Like, to bring something when no one's even asking. Like, aren't you parents? Aren't you blessed when your kid's just like, I thought of you. And you're like, oh, you did? Oh, oh my gosh. This is amazing. This is why I had you. <laughs> This moment. <laughs> Stop, paint it, frame it, Hallmark card it. Okay. Look at verse three. It says, um, despite their fear. Oh, you know what? Let me just go back to that for one second. You know that how we got that land on the eight freeway though? Is someone did that. There was a couple in the church, no one had asked for an offering yet. This was uh, a year and a half before we ever did the offering is a couple came in and they were like, we want to make something happen. We want to, no one's asking, but we want to give. One person stepping up before they're even asked, you can set in motion a move of God. That's the kind of person I want to be. I don't want to have to wait to be asked. I want to say, God, here I am. Put me in, coach. Put me in. I love those kids. I'm a coach. You know, I, I do. I put those kids in even if they stink. Because I'm like, you're so awesome. Like, you want to play so bad. I know you can't play, but you're going to play. Because you're so eager. You so want to be in it. Can I just tell you, God doesn't need us to do his work, right? He's like, hey, I created Pluto, you know? like. But you're like, put me in. I just want to bless you, God. He's like, oh, my kid, I, I have to put you in. Like, I. Okay, that's not in the notes. That's just free right there. <laughs> Now watch this in verse 3. It says, um, despite 
their fear of the peoples around them. They built the they built the on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifices. Let me tell you, you'll never build an altar to the Lord as long as you're cowering to the fear of man. The way you become a person who builds an altar to the Lord is you decide that you fear him more than you fear man. Um, Maybe some of you have had this experience where you're like, hey, I'm really going to start following the Lord. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow him not just on Sundays, but on Mondays and, and Tuesdays. And, and even on the beginning of the weekend, like I'm going to go out to dinner with my friends. And you're like, hey, let's pray. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I just said that. And we're going to actually pray in a restaurant. And everyone's going to look and be like, oh, look, the weirdos praying. Like there's the Walton family just came in in their wagon praying at the meal. Can I just tell you, you have to overcome the fear of man by fearing God more, right? Or, or, or you're, in, you're at the office, you're at the water cooler, and someone pours out their heart to you about the pain they're in, and you know at that moment your heart's beating, and like, I should pray for this person right now in my office. And then, like, big, mean Biff walks in, and you're like, oh, no, it's Biff. Like, he's going to totally persecute me. And you're like, no, I, I'm in a bow to the Lord, not bow to Biff, right? I am. And, and you have to overcome the fear of man. I, I want to tell you, even just in my devotional life, like I, I, I am, I, like I said, I walk around. I'm not, uh, I don't sit still. So where I pray in the morning is in my backyard against my back fence. But but I don't have a privacy fence in front, so when neighbors drive by, they can see me. And, and you know what? I've just had to decide I don't care what people think. And so I just walk in my backyard like this. I know that my neighbors think I'm insane. Like, I know that they're like, who is that crazy guy that lives on the corner? Because I'm just walking. I'm praying. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm singing. Oh, you know. And you don't sing good when you have earphones in. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever heard someone sing with earphones in? You take the best singer, and they sound like a dying dog. And so I am, like, pacing back and forth, singing. And I'll, I'll, every once in a while, I'll open my eyes and see my neighbors going, like, driving by. Like, <laughs> Your brother, Stephen's brother, does this too, and he actually got the cops called on him. <laughs> they were like, there's an insane man in the backyard. Go, quickly, get him. And he had to explain, like, no, I was just praying. So, <laughs> you can't care about the fear of man if you're going to build an altar unto the Lord. Verse 4, it says, Then in accordance with what was written... They celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those brought as free will offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, through the, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Here's what I know about a scripture like that is you read that and you're like, oh, I'm so lost. Can I just tell you, we live in the most amazing time. 50 years ago, you would have had to go to a 
a library or maybe even a seminary library to be able to study all these terms, the, the festival of tabernacles, the festival of, of booths, the new moon harvest. You're like, what in the world? And so usually we just, you know, get glazed eyes and just speed through this to get to the good stuff. Can I just tell you, there is good stuff in here. And, and if you went in my office, just right across uh, in the other building, you would see all these commentaries on all these shelves. Do you know that I don't even have to open them anymore? Because all the commentaries are now in here. They're all online. They're all accessible to you. So when you get to one of these things and you don't understand, let me just tell you, go to one of the age-old commentaries right in Bible Gateway, right in, in Blue Letter Bible, right in Bible Study Tools. That you, they are all at your fingertips in an instant. And if you don't even, can't even remember those, just Google it. Now, don't believe everything you Google, right? You're like, aliens? They set up? No. Um, but let me just tell you, this is a great day for you to have volumes of what the godly ancient men and women have written about the scripture helping us understand. So let me just unpack for you for a moment. That was just a commercial about you being a Bible student. Now let's back to this sermon. What is the Festival of Tabernacles? What's the Festival of Tabernacles? It's also called the Festival of Booths. It's also called Sukkot in Hebrew. This was the time when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. It's in the Exodus. They come out of Egypt and they're wandering around the desert and they're living in temporary dwelling places, but the presence of God was there with them. And so isn't it fascinating that the first thing they celebrate when they get back into the new land, like they're back to their permanent residence, like they're back to their land that they wanted to be in. And the first thing they do is they celebrate being wanderers in the desert. But as they were wanderers, God was with them. What is this speaking prophetically? It's speaking that no matter how much of a permanent residence you set up in life, don't ever forget, people of God, that you are wanderers, that you are aliens in this world, that you are sojourners, and your real home is the presence of God. Right? Because, because we're constantly... We're constantly trying to set up, we're trying to create our little kingdom and set up my little perfect little home and my perfect little couch and my little flat screen and get the fan blowing on me. Or if you have air conditioning, oh my gosh, you're so blasted. And, and yet it's always falling apart. Have you ever noticed that? Like we, we, we just about get our world perfect and then something always happens. Have you noticed that? Like every week, you know, like... I finally got it set up, and then my car breaks down. I finally got it set up, and then SDG&E like, gave us a brownout. Like, I, I finally got it set up, and I, like there's always some problem. Can I just tell you, in this world, you will have trouble, but the presence of God is your perfect home. And, and I have to ask myself, when I get tired, I have to ask myself, when I'm weary, Am I more looking towards my temporary dwelling, like if I can just get to my house and sit on my couch and turn on the NFL? <laughs> or do I long for the presence of God and say, God being with me? You know, that's why we build an altar, because we bring our sacrifice of worship, and he brings his presence. He brings his presence. So let me just finish this sermon by 
quickly going through three altars that each one of us is called to build. Three altars that each one of us is called to build. The first is your personal altar. I've been talking about that. We're all called to have a place that we go every single day and commune with God. In college, I, I didn't have uh, uh, my own space because I lived in a dorm with all these thousands of guys and they were smelly and loud. And, and, and so what I did was I found a little lonely tree on the edge of campus. And that was my altar that I could go to every single day and sit under that tree and take my Bible and, and then worship my little heart out to the Lord. That was my altar. What's your altar? Okay, I know, I know one guy who takes a speaker out on his porch, and he just worships the Lord out on his porch. I know another one that goes and runs on the beach every morning, and that's his, his personal altar with the Lord. Right? I, I love the, the story from church history of John Wesley and Charles Wesley, the famous revivalists that were leaders in the Great Awakening. Their mother had so many children that she didn't feel like she could ever get away. That's like some of you moms. You're like, I, I would love to have an altar. Like, like, just give me an altar. But the kids are always here. You know what she did? This is so awesome. She would pull her apron over her head and disappear under her apron. And that was her altar, right? Some of you women just need to pull your yoga pants over your head and, <laughs> and just disappear. What's, what's your altar? What is, what, where's the place that you can meet with God? For me, I have, a, I have a desk in my house and my chair, and I get up every morning and I go there every single day. I start my day by going to that altar and, and, and reading the Bible, and then my second place is and then I go to my back fence and I just worship, and I'm, I'm, I, I turn on my headphones and I'm singing songs to the Lord and I'm talking to him and I'm lifting up his name. And you know what? When I bring my sacrifice of worship, he brings his presence. Have you established your personal altar? You know, it's in his presence is the fullness of joy. Some of you are looking everywhere for joy when all the while it's right here, just building your personal altar. It's accessible every single day. Number two, we build a family altar. We build a family altar. I, I meet parents all the time. They're so frustrated that they haven't been able to provide for their kids what they want or they haven't been able to set up the kind of home or give them the kind of situation. Can I tell you that there's no greater gift to give to your children than building a family altar? For us, our family altar is just our dining room table. And I've told my family every morning, every school morning at 7 a.m., we're going to meet at this table. And my, my kids are 16, 14, 12, and 10. We've been doing this forever. Can I tell you, we've been doing this their whole lives, and I still, it's like herding cats every morning. You're like, get to the table. It's 7 o'clock. Come on. Okay, stop hitting your brother. Get the sock out of your ear. Okay, stop. Okay, stop spinning that. Stop throwing that football. Like, let's sit. Okay. And, and you know what? Here's why I find that so many parents um, are so frustrated. It's your expectations are so high. Like, you think you're going to have Bethel worship. And at the at the table, right? And and, and you think you're gonna like digest a C.S. Lewis commentary? <laughs> Can I just say, just read several verses? Like I'll I will read several verses and be like, so kids, this what this says is God loves you, right? I mean that whoa, profound. And then we each go around 
and we, we, we pray. And you know what that does? It, it can be three minutes, three to five minutes, but it establishes the priority of building the altar daily to the Lord. It is the greatest gift you can give your kids that we prioritize the Lord and ministering to him in this house. And it's amazing to actually see at different times that my kids will actually say things. Well, we don't do this because we learned this. I'm like, you were listening? That's amazing. (laughs) Um, Here's the third altar we build. The third altar is our spiritual family altar. It's It's our church altar. Guys, do you know the main reason you come here every Sunday? It's actually not to be fed. It's actually not to be ministered to. The main reason we come to church and gather with the people of God every Sunday. Um, my, my, uh, my favorite day of the year is Father's Day. I love Father's Day. Here's why. Father's Day, we always have a meal together. We gather around the table, and Stephanie always says, kids, let's go around the, the table and tell Dad what we love about him. I love it. That's the best day of the year. I'm like, we should have several Father's Day. We should have like quarterly Father's Days, right? Every day should be Father's Day, right? That's what Sunday is. Sunday's Father's Day. It'd be so sad for me if one of my kids didn't come to the table. It means so much to me when each kid comes to tell You know what? Some days I don't even think they, they really want to tell me. But when they do that, it's a sacrifice of encouragement to a dad's heart, and it means the world to me. Do you know the main reason we come to worship every week is we start the week by prioritizing, God, you are good. God, you are worthy. God, you deserve all praise. The main reason we gather is to minister to the Lord. Like he has been so good and he deserves all praise. And so that's why we come. We're like a bunch of little kids gathered around the table saying, Daddy, we just want to encourage you today because you are the bomb. You are great. You are wonderful. But you know what happens? We bring a sacrifice of worship. He doesn't have to, but he always brings his presence. And so we actually end up getting blessed. We actually end up getting transformed. We actually end up getting comforted. We actually end up getting instructed and changed. And we actually become more and more like him as we come to minister to him. He's so good. We're called to build an altar to the Lord. Would you stand up with me?